Welcome everybody to another episode of the Canna Book Club hosted by Resonate Radio. Today we're going into modeling cannabinoids from a large-scale sample of cannabis sativa chemotypes. This one is a little bit different, folks. This one doesn't involve actual plants. We are going over a paper that is based on genetics and data uh, written by uh, Daniela Vergara, Reggie Gaudino, Thomas Blank, and Ryan Keegan. We have the pleasure of having Dr. Daniela Vergara on the episode to explain this paper in depth. And I highly recommend you listen to this one or watch this one on Spotify. If not, you need to look this paper up so you can follow along because some of these figures are definitely a little complicated. So modeling cannabinoids from a large scale sample of cannabis sativa chemo types, it's gonna be a two-parter. We're gonna break this up for us folks. So we'll take this in two doses at least. And uh, here we go. First episode of 2023, everybody. We're gonna join Casey, who is introducing the paper and the abstract and then to the introduction you know how we do this folks all right let's get to it another episode of can of book club happy new year to you all and here we go and i'm gonna just run through the abstract real quick so the widespread legalization of cannabis has opened the industry to using contemporary analytical techniques for chemotype analysis chemotypic data has been collected on a large variety of oil profiles inherent to the cultivars that are commercially available the unknown gene regulation and pharmacokinetics of dozens of cannabinoids offer opportunities of high interest in pharmacology research Retailers in many medical and recreational jurisdictions are typically required to report chemical concentrations of at least some cannabinoids. Commercial cannabis laboratories have collected large chemotype datasets of diverse cannabis cultivars. In, a, in this work, a dataset of 17,600 cultivars tested by Steep Hill Inc. is examined using machine learning techniques to interpolate missing chem chemotype observations and cluster cultivars into groups based on chemotype similarity. The results indicate cultivars cluster based on their chemotypes and that some imputation methods work better than others at grouping these cultivars based on their chemotypic identity. And due to the missing data and um, and so the low signal to noise ratio for some less common cannabinoids, their behavior could not accurately be predicted. And these findings have implications for characterizing complex interactions in cannabinoid biosynthesis and improving phenotypical classification of cannabis cultivars. Cool, cool, fun. Um, and we're going to take it section by section, starting with the introduction. Take it away, Molly, please. Thank you. Um, so with cannabis becoming legal in more and more countries, um, there's more and more you know, cool equipment that's appearing to do the um, analytical analysis of the many different um, chemical components um, of this plant, including cannabinoids. Um, as we all know, the most, uh, I guess, the most popular um, and most like tested for cannabinoids are THC um, and CBDA. Um, and in this intro, I found that it, there was a lot of pretty interesting information about the fact that um, sort of like figuring out um, 
the pathways um, that are responsible for production of those two is pretty complicated. And so um, there is a, a lot of basically... Um, there's a lot of genes that are very similar with genetic sequence, and so they're very close to each other, and that making it very complicated to predict um, the phenotypic characteristics um, of like production of THC or CBD in different strains. Um, there are some other minor cannabinoids um, that we know uh, exist, like CBA and THCVA and CBDVA. Um, there's also um, like phenotypic and Chemotypic characteristics right now are only grouped into indica sativa and the hybrid. Um, and those are typically, again, um, talking about the morphological uh, aspects of the plant, like with sativa being tall and, you know, having the high THC and low CBDA. And then with indica uh, being short plants with more density and um, having higher CBD levels, uh, which is pretty interesting because I thought it was the other way around but um the taxonomic right now um is based naming on the things that are not really relevant of what the experience might um be like in the therapeutic use um and also the labeling problem uh, they mentioned here was previously limited by a narrow representation of different strains that um, were approved by the U.S. government for the research. And so in this study, they examined a large sample of um, strains available in medical and recreational markets within the U.S. Um, and so they were doing um, identification of the clusters um, of uh, strains based on similarities in their chemotypes and evaluating the accuracy of different methods of inputting the missing chemotype data because most of it is um, only related to THC and CBD. Um, so there is no single imputation method that is able to reliably predict all missing chemotype data, but there were some methods that do have a pretty high accuracy for specific cannabinoids. Um, and uh, Corey, you can jump over to materials and methods. because they're very complicated in this paper. <laughs> Thank you. There's really no materials per se. We didn't like, you know, Danielle already led to this. There's no plants. We didn't get to grow things in this study. So we're going to be talking a lot about statistical analysis. And so frequent listeners uh, to the podcast know that I frequently love to uh, poke fun at a lot of statistical modeling and we kind of brush it off. But however, we have the person who did the paper here uh, for it. And so I'd kind of like to ask you, Danielle, a few different things about this because I think the biggest thing that kind of comes out to me is that there's an incomplete data set. And so trying to understand, you know, what exactly to deal with that is totally different in a statistical analysis sense as far as, you know, that's concerned versus like cultivation, for example. You know, the way we kind of approach it is completely different. I don't really have per se R or Python or any of these tools to kind of fill in these gaps right away and then just move forward with the data and try to come up with conclusions. So I'm really interested to kind of understand, like, what is the, the first thing that happens when you have something like this, where you have a data set that's missing? What is even the first step to try and tackle this problem to try and get, you know, I don't, I don't want to say what you're looking for, because that assumes that you're, you know, forcing results into a direction. But how do you kind of solve that problem of not having the data when 
You need the data. You don't have the plants. <laughs> okay. So to, to answer that question, I'm going to start with how did this project began, right? So basically, um, Reggie and I, Reggie was my boss for two years or four years, I think. Yeah, two years in one place and two years in another place. Uh, he um, he gave me data and I used a bunch of data from Steep Hill in different papers and he gave me data to analyze. So this data set, <clears throat> he gave me um, like, hey, just take all of this data set from different Steep Hills across the country, right? Like there's different labs, Steep Hill labs across the country and and see what you get and analyze this. And so I was like, yeah, sure, okay, I'll do that. And it turns out that all of these different places would take the data in different ways, right? So, for example, I don't know, Corey would take date first and then time next and then THC A and then THC, but Casey would take, I don't know, um, CBG first and then um, CBN and then the terpenoids and then at the end the date and then Molly would do, you know, first the terpenes, right? Like they were all, so I was trying to clean that data and to figure out how to clean that data, which was a huge pain. And I was on a coffee shop in Boulder, sitting down, like banging my head against R, right? Like how to clean this data and then merging all of these things and then figuring out which ones have been repeated and which ones were not repeated. And Brian Keegan enters the coffee shop. And so he sits beside me and Brian and I knew each other. And so uh, he sits beside me and like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm cleaning this data and this is awful and this is horrible and I've been doing and I don't, and I, you know, like, and, and so I was just Bleh! And so he's like, oh, I love cleaning data. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Take the data and clean it. And so we began, my idea to do with that paper was like, okay, I want to know whether there are trends, right? Does THC increase through time, which we know it has happened. It's been documented in several papers that we, we know that there's an increase. So basically, breeders and growers in their closets select for the ones that have the most THC for them to be the parents of next generation's offspring. And, you know, there's presumably a heritage heritage heritable component of THC, right? If you have high THC, your kids are also going to have high THC, right? And so I wanted to know whether that was a case for CBDs, given that CBDs, you know, like going to cure everything from eczema to COVID. So I was like, oh, maybe, you know, there's also the same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted to see patterns, you know, maybe California has more than, I don't know, Washington or something like that. And so that was my whole idea with the paper. But then what we found was that there was a bunch of missing data and there was a bunch of missing data that, um, that was not randomly missing, right? So for example, THC was not randomly missing. Everyone would test for THC because the government makes you test for THC. CBD was also not, missing as much but there were for other cannabinoids that maybe you know you get charged more if you want to test for all of them or you're not you don't have to test for all of them then those were missing so it's like okay 
can we with the data you know there's only like 500 points where we have all of them all of the cannabinoids were taken and so now and there was other you know other issues with the data which were like zero is the presence of zero because you did not find the cannabinoid is the presence of zero right you didn't detect the cannabinoid or is the presence of zero that you didn't test for that cannabinoid right or so or or a dash right is that a dash equal to zero or is a dash that you did not test for that cannabinoid and so that was yeah that was that was messy right and we did find other trends in the data like we we found that you know like for example i don't remember if it was, was morning or afternoon in the morning there the cannabinoids were higher than in the afternoon things like that like you know like maybe this guy you know, the, the one that tested in the morning you know he he spikes them up or you know like things like that but but Thing, things that we did not report on the paper were kind of funny. The instrument, the instrument gets tired towards the end of the day, and it kind of, like, wants to go home. It gets tired, and so it doesn't yeah. do as good of a job. I think that's what it is. Exactly. Just leave me alone. Um, so, yeah. So, but the idea was, okay, with the data that we have existing, could we take those missing values and kind of, like, guess them, you know, like, imp impute them, Right using different statistical, different mathematical algorithms. So basically what we did, or what Brian mostly did, because he was the one that, that said, like, look, we really cannot, like, we could, the only patterns that we found, which are in the supplementary materials, uh, you know, like, we look for whether there were relationships between cannabinoids and time, like THC and CBD and time and THC and CBD and space, and we found nothing. Right. So, so those were the only two that we could see because there's no data like for CBDV. Like, there's really no data, right? Like no one tests for CBDV. So, um, so, so basically that's I, I did want to ask you about that there. Cause there are that one mm -hmm. part where it comes, it kind of talks about this and the mechanism of missingness. So, uh, cause I got a good chuckle out of this and then I read it to a colleague and he had a good chuckle. So, um, what exactly does missing completely at random mean? Missing at random and then missing not at random. And I know you've kind of like lightly touched on that right there, but I just wanted to kind of really bring that into light because those are three hilarious terms. And I think it just kind of adds to that, uh, you know, what exactly you had to deal with to try and figure out, you know, like you said, some of these things just people aren't going to test for. People are testing in the afternoon and maybe spot. No, kidding. But, you know, it's very, very interesting at those kind of three terms. And how did you come to, you know, how did you even get to those terms? <laughs> I don't re I don't remember that. Like, where, where is it? Like, I don't I mean, I, I do remember the missing at random and that not random is is the fact that are you, you know, like, is that data point just a data point that was not taken, right? Or is that data point not taken knowingly, right? You are knowingly not taking that data point. And those, and completely at random, and rand I don't remember the, difference, the differences between the two of those, that complete random, and but that's the idea of the different imputation tests, right? That they are some of them are more accurately describing the data distribution, 
which is, I think, figure five, where we have the original data, and that's THC versus CBD. So we have a bunch of data there. And then we look at the different imputation methods to see whether the different imputation methods, how well were they at describing the actual data. So, and we find that there's one that is better than the other one. I think that it's the green one, which is the K nearest neighbor. And those are all different types of algorithms. Yes, that, that graphic. Um, those are all just different types of algorithms that are used for, um, for different machine learning statistical techniques, right? Um, and they give you like all of those different machine learning techniques, like those are all like, that's what Brian does, right? Like for me, it's principal component analysis and that is it and that is the best. But with him, I learned all of these others. Like I had never, for example, thought about, yeah, um, all of these different types of imputation methods before in my life until with him. And so that's why this paper is what it is, right? Like that this paper is, what can we do with this data? What type of analysis can we do with this data? And what does it, yeah, what does it give you? Like, what can we conclude with this? Like that was the entire idea of, that's how that paper came to be. Cool. So I think that definitely, cause I didn't want to address that. Cause of course, there's some people be like, oh, well, they just made it made up data. I could get a paper published. I'm just going to make up some data. And, <laughs> you know, so I wanted to really kind of go through that. You know, again, this is a totally different troubleshooting method. I think it's super interesting um, to, to say the least. It could have been it could have been an ecologist who came up with these definitions. Just saying ecologists are really good at um, making shit up. <laughs> That's true. Like this trouble that Daniela found when she first got the data set and was like, everybody is not only d doing different tests, but they're also like, there's no standard like format, database, like it, none of it is, it's all just fucking go for, just fucking whatever. Well, that's why yeah, I really, it. that's why I really like, wing it. that's why I really like this paper in that way, because it really highlights the kind of what is happening right now that just really isn't good. And then what's kind of happened previously that kind of made that whole situation not really good. And it's just kind of this very interesting cyclical and, and how conversation. how can we go forward and make this better? Like yep. maybe there should be a standard, a standard yep. data input. Like you put the date, you put the time, you put your name, like you do the THC, THCA, CBD, CBDA, and you have like a standard and you got to fill in all the col columns. If you put a zero, that means it's not detected. If you put a NA, it means we didn't test for it. You know what I mean? Like there should be some sort of standard and that's just scratching the surface of all the problems. I mean, right? like, yeah, at the licensed producer, <laughs> I've worked at one of the places I've worked at, like we had to, and I was part of like GMP paperwork though, was like putting the date and time and signing it and like having that kind of standard uniformity. I mean, hell, we had an SOP about the paperwork that indicated we couldn't use NA on our paperwork. There had to be an explanation. So... Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I tried that with Steve Hill and I was like, okay, you know, like we need to do this. And whenever you guys go, because they were 
very meticulous at, you know, their standards. And there was this guy, like Anthony Torres, who is awesome. And he would go to, you know, and like, okay, we're going to measure the standards or we're going to make sure that your machine runs correctly, blah, blah. But they did not go to the, okay, now data acquisition and data analysis. Because at the end of the day, you need to comply with whatever it is that you're going to sell. And you need to have a paperwork that says, this has this amount of THC and CBD and that's going to go in my shelf and I need to sell it. Right. And that's the, but people do not think like people do not think kind of like Amazon thinks, or, you know, like that you go to a place and you click on here and then you're also likely to buy a gray sweater. And therefore you're also likely to buy these glasses, right? Like people do not think that way that you can gather that data and then figure other things up also like that. But I think that that, so, okay, so this, that paper led to the paper with Leafly. And one of the things, you know, after I had analyzed this data with Brian, so that paper with Leafly, it was, it was, um, I was contacted, I think it was on Twitter, actually, by Nick Jacomis, who is the, the scientific head in, in Leafly. And he's like, hey, you know, like I have this data and I saw that you have this paper and let's analyze this data. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll bring in Brian. And, you know, like he he's great at, at, at making that up. <laughs> like, I'll bring Brian. And then uh, and then he's like, OK. And, and Christiana was was working. She worked at Leafly. And so that was a completely different experience because we found out that those labs, which were six labs in different states in the U.S., were very consistent with each other. And their data sets were very, very, yeah, like the the, the amount of variation between THC, it was super, super consistent, which, you know, we had a discussion and I wanted to say like that, gives power to Leafly because that makes like Leafly pairs up with these labs and Leafly does a really good job at vetting who you're going to pair with. Right. So that was my take on, but I was also really positively surprised that there's someone in Florida and someone in Michigan and someone in Washington state that are doing a really good job, not knowing each other and are very consistent. And I think, I mean, yeah, granted that I worked for, with Steep Hill for two years, I think that Steep Hill is a very reputable company. I think that what needs to happen is the next step of how we gather the data, and that is not easy, right? Like, I'm sure that all of these companies, for, like the company that I just named Amazon, or you can think about Target or whatever, they did not think about these things until afterwards. Like, okay, people that like these glasses, also like these headphones. Oh, okay, right, like you need to go, and now we know, so now it's easier for us to take that extra step, in my opinion, I may be. Like that whole, like, people who bought this item also bought these items, and I'm always like, oh, yeah, need that. <laughs> exactly, right? Which is, all of those are machine learning algorithms, right? All of those are the same thing when, or Spotify, right? Like you like this song, you're also going to like this song. And it's like, oh, Spotify, you know me so well, right? It's the same, right? <laughs> All of those are machine learning techniques that give you likelihood of 
of analysis. And these techniques that we use for that paper are similar, right? Like when you find this pattern, you find this pattern, um, can you guess what's going to be next, right? What's the next number? And these are different algorithms that help you do that and fill that blank, right? In different ways. And it is much easier to fill that blank when the more data that you have. So for example, for THC, you basically, the like the three numbers that were missing, you're basically really easily going to find out what those are. But that's not the case for CBDV when you have 95% of your data missing. Okay. I appreciate that. It, uh, like I said, for me and not having a, a plant side of it, this portion of the paper was still pretty, uh, pretty interesting for me because I just was going down the road of, holy smokes, we made things up, but it makes, it definitely makes sense, you know, and it's just, it's just really interesting of just how, you know, everyone wants to know where the research is. And it's like, well, folks, this is what happens when we just don't have a standardized system all the time. This is why there are some hurdles in, in kind of getting to some of these conclusions. So, yeah, I appreciate you uh, highlighting them for the method side of it. Casey, what's uh, what do we got next there, big guy? All right, results time. Let's take a look at some figures. Cool. So basically, this is looking at each cannabinoid individually and then the differences between these different imputations. And it does look like the K nearest one, even on this graph, looks kind of nicer than the others. So I think you mentioned that the smoothness, does that kind of help tell you whether it's a good result? Yes. But also, if you look at that figure <clears throat> and you see, for example... Well, THC is not there because we did not have to guess any value for THC. But if you look, for example, at CBG and CBD, you see that all of the methods, independent of which one they are, they're very similar to each other, right? So basically, yeah. the, the, when you have very little data that you need to impute, the methods are very similar to each other. However, when you have something like THCV or CBDV, which is the worst one, then the methods start differing from each other in which ones. So really, when you have a, all of your data, when there's very little data that you need to, to estimate, it doesn't matter that much which method you use. But when there, are, when there is a lot of data that you need to figure out, there are some methods that may be better than the others. Well, that says a lot about that graph. All right. And then kind of moving on to figure two. So the nice, it's figure I like it. I love crazy. these ones. I mean, I like but, it too. Um, it's got so, so much information on it. I'm just like, honestly, I don't get it, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, 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 <laughs> is it kind of just like looking at it almost at different angles? If yes, you were like, yeah. as if you were like in a, if it was a, yeah, like the bottom half, it took me a while. It took me a while. And I remember in, yeah, I remember discussing this, this graph with, with Brian as well. Because, so if you look at the bottom half, it's kind of like you're looking at it 3D, but from the top, right? Mm -hmm. And you're looking at the distribution from the top. And then, um, so you see, for example, that um, 
that um um so the first one which is is it cbd no it's thc versus uh cbg versus uh what is the first one i don't first yeah cbg yeah yeah cbg versus cbg yeah if you if you see if you see them um so the 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 diagonal it's itself versus itself right and then most of them most of them are um are around zero because they are not existent uh, but you can see, for example, that CBD has two humps, right? One of them is around zero, and then one of them, it does have some CBD. But, uh, but then when you look at, at, the, um, at the distribution, you know, you, the THC, for example, versus CBG in the, in the, in the second little, co- in, the, in the first column, in the second row, you can see that mostly many individuals have a lot of thc but very little cbg right on the x-axis a lot of thc on the y and and so basically what you're doing there is that you're looking at the distribution of these cannabinoids versus each other kind of looking at them from from different perspectives right like one like the 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 bottom half is is looking at them like upside like from up and then on the on the top half is looking at like a scatter plot and then awesome. how do they dis- are distributed versus each other yeah and then you also kind of mentioned in, when just when talking about it that the with the humps and the thc and the cbd they kind of behave how we would expect them to based off like the trend and what's available um cannabinoid wise with the high thc low cbd usually Cool. Um, if there's nothing else to say about that one, figure three is cool, and that's going to be um, a very reliable, <laughs> nice uh, scatter plot because it's THC versus CBD, which you did have a lot of data on. So we've kind of looked at stuff like this before, almost a very similar graph, I think. But um, we're, we're, we've got our clusters um, and um, it looks like you've clustered them and, into the cultivars that we always talk about, the different types with the ratios of THC to CBD, and then all of the like kind of random ones. As you said, those are kind of probably are those the the ones that were missing a lot of data, um, or <clears throat> the negative one. No, those are different groups. So I, that's a K-mean clustering analysis, I think, where the program just clusters. It's an algorithm that gives you like the different clusters mm-hmm. and just names them, you know, minus one, zero, one. I mean, you can name it, I don't know, Jim, Joe, Mary, and Jane, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> but basically, <clears throat> some individuals, they, they differ in the amount of THC and CBD that each of them have. And then the ones that are, I think that the minus ones are the ones that you could not cluster in any of the groupings. Um, but yeah. They just like, didn't, they didn't algorithmically fall into that cluster. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So then you just. So are those like, like intermediates, like they don't have, they don't, they're not, their ratios of 
THC to CBD are not, they don't fall into those specific, like high, high THC, high CBD. Like they're not quite high enough to be in that cluster, but they're not in the, they're not even enough to be in that, you know, even ratio cluster, that kind of thing. They just, they just don't sit. Yeah. Yeah. And they're scattered all over the graph. Right. So they don't fit anywhere. Kind of. Yeah. Weirdos. And you can can see the biggest, the biggest cluster is that high, high THC and like mid to low CPT. So that definitely (laughs) looks accurate. (laughs) And there's barely any, well, there's a lot less of the high CBTs. So that's interesting. Oh, and also, so is there hemp types in this data set? Because like Steep Hill are they also testing like industrial hemp or is that just like some weird anomaly going on? Like what is going on there? Yeah. And that's the thing, right? That you only hemp growers for, I mean, for, for traditional hemp, like industrial hemp, they just tested for it to be compliant, right? They don't really care. Or like, or like, what if there's a client or several clients, as you know, as we're told, like test early and test often, if you want to track how your plants are progressing, whether that be hemp or, you know, your THC types, if there's somebody who's testing just, you know, because it's part of their protocol, we test every week, you know, like maybe those are the ones that are falling into that, uh, those um, outliers. True the that, true that, yeah. I don't know if that's just a guess. One, one, of, one of many, many, many guesses. <laughs> uh, figure four is a heat map. Um, I don't know if there's anything fun to say about that. It's just the correlations of the cannabinoids against each other, right? Yes. Yeah, and for this analysis, and looking at pairwise Pearson correlations through the different imputation methods, we did not see so now in figure so we're going to figure five but in this analysis the k nearest neighbor which is a non it's a non-parametric so it doesn't assume that your data is is normally distributed um in this the k nearest neighbor was not the best in this Mm -hmm. analysis but it is the best in the other analysis right so again, you know, when, yeah, when you have a lot of missing data, when you have a lot of, of I think that our recommendation would be do a bunch of different, use a bunch of different algorithms instead Got of just it. using one. Use a yeah. bunch of, because they can give you different results depending on the type of analysis that you're doing. Very clearly. Cool. And yeah, why don't we jump on to figure five? So that's taking that CBD THC scatter plot across. And now we're plugging in the other cannabinoids that were um, imputed, right? And it does look like that K nearest neighbor looks kind of nice. And all the, all the other plots are overlapping a lot more. Mm-hmm. So is this mostly just kind of showing that the K nearest neighbors is the one that you are most happy with? 
in that particular analysis, yes, that's the one that the best describes that relationship. Yes. And then you mentioned that the that they don't overlap the low THC and CBD cluster. Um, so I think that no method was good at detecting. Hmm. So if you see in that figure, neither color is good at going into that little cloud that is hmm. in the bottom, right? No method is good at detecting those. I wonder if that's just because there aren't a lot of actual, like, full data samples that have low THC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that all of these imputation methods have problems, right? Like, I was reading yeah. a paper about imputation methods in, in genomics, and mm -hmm. they also look at a bunch of different methods to figure out whether you can look at the genomic sequence and they find that when you have the actual genomic sequence, like the error is 30%, right? Compared to when you actually have the genomic sequence. And and this looks about right when I compare, like this, of course, is not genomic data, but at the end of the day, there's nothing better than having the actual data, right? Hmm. Um, so so I think that that despite trying different methods and despite in this case the k nearest neighbor being the best one it still has its flaws for sure nothing's perfect and then finally figure six which is a fun swirly color of rainbows um figure. so now we're seeing a, a clear separation of the high and low thc and cpd varieties and yeah, I mean, so basically, is it like, since we can see that like the unclassified and the the low THC, low CBD are kind of separate, but that's a good thing. And yeah, Daniela, uh, I would love it if you could explain this. This figure <laughs> to I was like, hmm, I totally don't understand this. I've never, I've never seen a figure like this. Like I know somebody did something fancy with some something, some computer or something. So, okay. So this is the thing, right? So all of these different, these are all dimensionality reduction methods. So, and this is again from Nick Jacobus, um explaining dimensionality reduction methods. So, when you have a 3D object and you put it against the light and it casts a shadow and you basically kind of um, plot that shadow, which is two dimensions. So you're taking a bunch of dimensions in these all of these data sets and you're trying to put them into two dimensions. For me, you know, like as a biologist, the dimensionality reduction method that I have always used and that I love is principal component analysis because I really, really understand principal component analysis because I've used it. So, yeah, so we talk a lot about, we, we've had a few papers that have done PCAs and PCOAs, and I describe it as like a cloud of data. Like you can rotate it. We just only have the ability to put it on a flat piece of paper. So you don't get to see that cloud. But if you can see in your mind that these, 
it, it, it you could pick it up and spin it round, right? So is that the same kind of thing that we're looking at here? Yes, it's the same kind of idea. It's just a different type of algorithm, right? But again, yes, and PCA, I think it, that's a great way of putting it. And in my mind, you know, when you're doing a PCA, like you have a bag of very variation, and then you kind of like number one is the one that has the most variation. So you're measuring a bunch of things that may not have any sort of relationship whatsoever, like height and weight and color and I don't know, whatever, right? Like they have no, and then you can analyze it through a PCA and see what is the, what, how can we explain the most variation in all of these different measurements that have nothing to do with each other? Right. So with PCA, for example, um, we use a lot of PCA again in that paper with with Leafly. We use that because we all felt comfortable doing principal components analysis. These are other mathematical algorithms. And when you talk to people that do like when you talk to uh, people that do machine learning, they're kind of like, oh, you're still using Yuma. Oh, that's so 1999, right? Like, oh, no, that we already use another new algorithm that this new package in Python has and blah, 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 right? But at the end of the day, it's kind of like the same type of thing. Can we see different clusters? Can we see whether the high THC and low CBD cluster together here and cluster together there? Which one gives me the best resolution? It's the same thing, right? I I was kind of, I was team PCA and because it was both of us and it was, I I, I, I lost my war and there you have this map <laughs> and there, right? But I I would have, it's it's kind of like the same situation at, at um, yeah, um, another type of, yeah, dimensionality reduction. So you, you look at one of these things and you're seeing the most variation, meaning that, no matter how you spin this data, like this three-dimensional object, it's not going to get any worse, more spread apart than what we're seeing right now. Yes. Right? Yes. But, for example, if you look at the um, K, so if you look, for example, at, at the, the first one, that um, iterative, you can see that the purple cluster does not really separate from the yellow one. So, for example, in this case, the K nearest neighbors is the worst one, right? Like you cannot see separation whatsoever. But the soft U map, you can you can see different. Like you can see the blue and you can see the green. So you can see that there's some sort of separation between the data, and it helps you visualize. Okay, so this this high THC clusters here and these low rolla clusters there. So again. This is another reason why no method is good. Like you can see it throughout the figures. In this figure, mm -hmm. this, this method works the best. In this other figure is this other one. In this other figure, it's this other one, right? So whichever you use, it's gonna have its pros and its cons. Well, and for any for any you know experiment that you do, this is why we do multiple analysis. And if all of the different kinds of ways of looking at the data all agree with each other, then you know you've got a good result, right? If you do a bunch of different analyses and they all say different things, then it's like our conclusion is we need to do more research. <laughs> Not that we wouldn't conclude that we need to do more. Like, it, we're never done. Like, all the sciences never end. Like, we always can expand, like, our number of, you know, strains or the number of individuals that we've analyzed. But 
Like, yeah, I, this is cool. All right. Thanks for explaining that, Danielle. I appreciate it. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty good for the results section. So I think we can start going into the deeper dive of discussion.